2023 was a really big year. This is a recap episode. As a movement, as a wave, there is just this energy and momentum that we haven't seen in the industry in a few years. Thousands of companies getting founded to go build something. What was uh, sort of your notable books of the year? The tech event or the theme of the year? A lot of people are going to pick what happened at the OpenAI. But I think this is the year of the rise of looking forward to 2024. What are you kind of like most looking forward to? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of the RT Institute, I'm sure. And not just an exciting episode, the last one of 2023. Uh, in case we managed to get this out on time. In case not, otherwise it'll be the first one of 2024. Either way, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, uh, there's been some delays, but we have quite the special uh, plan for you today. But before we get into that, uh, you know, I just want to say for everybody, if you're listening for the very first time or if you've been listening to us for the last few years, thank you so, so much. We really appreciate it. And what would really help us is if you can give an offering to the algorithmic guards. The algorithmic guards are not pleased easily, but if you want to please them, depending on which platform you use, whether it's big tech, small tech, or medium tech, you know, hit the like button on uh, YouTube, hit subscribe, turn on the bell icon, you know, get your phone buzzing when we drop a new episode. If it's Spotify, uh, leave us a review, go follow us, send a note to Daniel Eck. If it's Apple, uh, leave us a review. Just, you know, you know what to do, but uh, I just want to say thank you so, so much for joining us. But Aarti, what do we have planned for today? 2023 was a really big year for us. So we wanted to do a recap. Uh, this is a recap episode. Without going into too much detail, we want to just talk through what our life has been, uh, how the show has been for the last year, what we've learned, life hacks uh, for 2024. You know, just everything that uh, we we've lived and learned through this year and what's kind of what we're thinking of doing for 2024. Yeah, we try and do this, I think, uh, well, we've only done this uh, show for uh, last year. So, uh, you know, uh, it's a tradition which is now a uh, second year running. You know, we tried to do a recap last year, which went really well. It's also kind of just a great moment for us to reflect uh, uh, when everyone's looking back. So I think the first thing is the show, which I think is what we call everything we do here, uh, everything that we jointly put out on social media, the reels, the YouTube shorts, all of it, uh, it has just grown so much. I think when we, we were last year, we just started this show and we were about 20, 30 episodes in. But this year, uh, and I think there are a few ways to quantify it. Uh, as sort of people look at numbers all day. Uh, our numbers have more than doubled in so many ways. I think, I mean, I think you, you're pointing me the uh, pointing out to me the Spotify rap numbers, which are totally blowing yeah, our minds. Spotify rap post uh, was very interesting to me. So, I mean, first of all, numbers nerds, right? Like this is kind of what we'd love to do. Um, from every aspect of the episodes of the show, we've grown a lot. Most of our sticky listeners, like the listeners who come in every single week, have joined us for the first time this year. Uh, I'm talking like 70, 75% of the audience. So thank you. I mean, you found something, you found our show and you've like stuck with it. That's really great. Um, we have now consistently broken into the top podcast charts. Um, and, you know, we have a few apps that use this too. Like we just basically uh, have attribution tied to it and we just like measure in a variety of ways. And so we're like breaking into the top top 100 in a few countries, top 10. That's very, very interesting. It's a very global show. What's been like striking for me is initially we kind of thought 
you know, we are from the we we are from India, so we're going to have this like big Indian audience, and we live in the U.S. We're going to have a U.S. audience, and that's pretty much it. But that's actually not true. We are like incredibly geographically diverse, and a lot of those listeners also joined us this year. So from that standpoint, it was great. Um, we've tried very hard to keep it to one episode a week mm-hmm. um, this year, and uh, just like trying to get content out every week, and it's. It's a lot, you know. We're going to talk about this, but we basically moved cities, moved countries with our kids and everything, and just set up new lives here, and uh, just put in a lot of effort. So it's really nice to see the payback for that, you know, just having this audience and having people actually listen to this and actually talk about it and share your Spotify unwind uh, and tag us there and all of that. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, I think the think of the Spotify numbers, and uh, as you can tell, Arthi is the uh, the very metrics-oriented person in the family. The thing, the number which really stood out to me is for a lot of people, you know, and uh, like over a thousand people, uh, we were their number one podcast uh, that they listened to on Spotify. Uh, this blows my mind. Like, you know, and I think sometimes when you look at these numbers, especially in the world of tech, when you're used to these really large numbers, right? Like Facebook has a few yeah. billion users and whatnot, you kind of forget what a thousand people looks like. So this means for a, you could fill up a really large, you know, like conference center and it would be full of people for whom we are the the, the top thing they listen on Spotify, which really kind of both, it makes me feel so happy and, but also like feels like, okay, we don't have to deliver. Like, you know, so if you're one of them, you know, thank you. And also, you know, I hope to kind of keep putting out uh, content and uh, episodes that have a lot yeah, of value to you. Yeah, you're right. We are now creators. We never thought of ourselves that way, but this is now a thing, right? Like we are actually like doing this. There are people listening to it. Now it's up to us to actually make it valuable, make it useful. And so we can only be as useful as the topics that you would find interesting. So if there are things that you think we should cover, please tell us, talk to us, ping us. You know, we are around everywhere. We try and reply to every email and uh, we are as responsible as we possibly can be. So just tell us what you find useful mm-hmm. or what you'd like us to cover next year. It's really just interesting you say you were creators. Like, you know, I think this year we've seen a lot of people who had one, who kind of like, you know, who known for one thing and take up podcasting as a second thing. And, you know, like the world of tech is kind of known for this a little bit, but I think about uh, sports. So for example, this year was the uh, year where New Heart Show with the Kelsey brothers really broke out. And I'm curious, right? Like, do you feel like a creator? Do you feel like there is a space for people who are who have a full-time job in one profession? You know, I'm, I'm not going to claim that, you know, we're Jason and Travis Kelsey, uh, but then can also make it work in other process. So do you feel like a creator? Yes and no. I feel like this is this is our creative output, right? Like, you know, in our lives and in what we do through personal life, professional life and everything else, we have very little outputs of creativity, like places where we can kind of like do our thing, create something, put it out to the world and get feedback. And this is it. So from that standpoint, from like the purest definition of being a creator, I think we are that. Are we an influencer creator like on like, you know, an IG or a YouTube creator, that kind of thing? I don't know. I don't know what that is as a norm. I don't know if, you know, that's that's the world that we live in today or we will live in in the future. But uh, I do think of ourselves as like creating this show and creating content around it. Uh, you know, I was watching one of the Kelsey Brothers episode recently 
And yeah. uh, and one of the things that struck me was they talked about how sometimes the podcast is much harder than playing uh, an actual football game. Um, you know, which yeah. involves a lot of people. You know, uh, you know, doing really violent things to each other. And one of the most interesting things about this thing that we're doing is it's a combination of so many things. On one hand, you have to have a core uh, that just really works and a core that is people that is maybe, you know, that you and me in this case, it's the Kelsey brothers, that is, you know, Paul George, it is like, you know, Chris Williamson, whoever. And then you need to have like a core message or theme that they focus on. But there is kind of a little bit of a matting of the art of the conversation, like what Tim Ferriss would call verbal tennis, which I think is like a fantastic phrase. Uh, uh, yeah. you know, I was talking to him about a fantastic conversation he had with a guest who was just really good. They say that guy is just very good at verbal tennis, right? Like at the back and forth, right? And there's kind of like a little bit of an art, uh, the intangible quality there. But then there is a little bit of the, uh, you know, the mechanics of, okay, so do you get famous guests? Do you, how do you sort of work on different distribution mediums? How do you take this, you know, make it work for the algorithmic guard? So uh, FYI, if you folks haven't liked and subscribed to so now, uh, how do you chop it up into YouTube and Reels? And uh, how do you use Substack in email? So there's a little bit of marrying of those two. And for me, I, I, I think, you know, so much of a venture capitalist life is you are not actually creating new things. You're often in the service of other people creating new things and that's a job and that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. But this has been like a fantastic outlet in terms of like you've got to, we have had to figure this out. And for those of you, you know, Arti and I and our producer, uh, Sagnik, who's, you know, probably editing this uh, afterwards, right? We have an innumerable conversation about like, what is the show about, right? Like, should we talk less? Or should we stay on topic? Should we do more solo episodes? Like, should we, should we edit things? And it's all, they're all important. And I think figuring that out has been super rewarding. That's number one. The other really, really rewarding part is I was watching uh, All In uh, a few couple of weeks ago, All In podcast. And there was this comment about Shamat, you know, who's very successful, you know, um, uh, in sort of any measure. He was walking down the road in Italy or somewhere, and somebody comes up to him and he says, "Like I'm huge fans of the show." And Shamat is obviously just really happy with that, and you know, I just find like it, it, it is amazing when somebody out on the street, uh, you know, in a, you know, somewhere recognizes you. So yeah, you know, Arthi knows the story. Like you know, we were traveling recently, and I was actually traveling separately from her. And I was going through airport security at SFO and I was having a kind of a shitty day. It's kind of grumpy about something. doesn't really matter. And then at security, uh, this, uh, you know, this gentleman, you know, uh, uh, this Indian gentleman, um, you know, I'm not going to name, but if you're watching this, you know who you are. Please do ping me. And, you know, he stopped me and he was like, hey, he, 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 I love your podcast, right? And he did listen to all these episodes, right, like that we're watching. And, you know, I was kind of, you know, just finished, I was keeping a tray and, you know, I felt so really good, right? He felt like, oh, wow, right? Like, it, you know, it, it, it just feels so good that, you know, this person who was very accomplished in tech um, and, you know, was and he had his kid with him. He was just like, so he was like, oh, I love this episode with Indra Nui and, you know, I took this thing with Kosla. Blah, blah, blah. We had this great conversation. And, you know, and again, I think very not often do you get to have the kind of interaction, other things that we do uh, in tech, where somebody's like, hey, I like this thing and this influenced me and so on. So those have been like two really rewarding things. Yeah, I um, I agree with that. I think, you know, to what you said, this is like, it's a creative output for us. We put in a bunch of time into it. We try and work really hard to just set up, you know, we have this like running doc. It's literally called running podcast topic doc. And uh, we put in topics in there, we prep for it, we do a bunch of work there. But I will say, Sriram and I have complementary skill sets, and that really helps. 
Shriram is like the artist, you know, he's the guy who like has the vision. This is going to go viral, this segment right here. Countless, <laughs> countless podcasts. He's always like, Kelsey Brothers, this thing, this other podcast, this one just launched, this one just did this. And he's always, always just like doing this, you know, I I, I guess it's like compete, compete research. Hey, it's an um, easy job. You got to go, you got to see what's out there. You got to see who the, what people are doing. Hey, out there. I, I'm no knocks there. Like I appreciate it. Um, and he does a lot of these research and all of that. My job is kind of more like a operations kind of person. Like I will actually make sure that we're doing the thing, right? Like every week we have to sit down, actually record it because the artist sometimes yeah. will just not be inspired enough to actually sit down and record an episode. That is so, so true. I, <laughs> so I have to sit down and make sure that I like get Shriram to sit down at his place and do this episode and get this delivered over to our other ops person who's Sagnik. Yeah. Who actually takes it? He and poor guy. He's always like, "Hey, it's Wednesday. Like, you guys have to like really send us in an episode." And he's like doing his part, right? So we have to all work in tandem to just make sure that the at oh, the yes. end of the day there is this thing. Yeah, that I, ships. I, I did. I'll say, I'll say that there's a little bit of art to this, right? Like, especially by the way, I think there's a big difference between um, guest episodes and the ones like this, which you call solo episodes, just Arthi and me together. Episode, yeah. uh, because when you have a guest episode. You know, you have a system because you book them. They're very important. They are, you know, you can have on the calendar. You don't want to waste their time. You want to make sure they have a great experience. So I think I have like a system and a rhythm. And you also know how you want to kind of take the conversation and you go through it. With, with Arthi and us, me though, uh, for most guests, sometimes you know, uh, it, it can be challenging. But for Arthi and me though, yeah, I try and study writing a little bit. And sometimes there's a phenomenon where if you, you know, uh, sometimes people say like, you shouldn't actually talk about your work before you've done it. Because if you do so, in your brain, you've already done it. And it's sometimes hard to work up the motivation to actually do the thing. And what I would find is, we prepare for this podcast, I would watch like five different things. I would write up the Google Doc and, you know, I'll go watch like, a, I don't know, like a Huberman or Lex or whoever. I'd, I'd be so prepared. But in my brain, I'm like, I've already done the thing. And then like six hours later, Arthi be like, okay, yeah, let's get on a laptop. So like, oh, I don't want to do it. I've already, in my head, I've already done it. And uh, so you're going to work. And so Arthi is the one who sort of like, you know, whips us into shape and say, you got to do the thing. So uh, if, you, if, if you're the audience, you want to thank somebody for us getting out an episode most weeks, right? Uh, it is an Arthi. A couple of weeks that we missed it, I guarantee it is because like I was too lazy to get shit done. So, uh, but it has been great. Um, okay, uh, moving on. Arti, so what is uh, some amazing or interesting moments from the year for you? Yeah, I, I just want to like come back to the episode itself for a bit. Like, you know, favorite guests, favorite topics, um, stuff that I really liked. Uh, one, you know, obviously we had a few episodes with uh, Mark and Jason. Those have all kind of been like our best listened to, most feedback received, most comments received kind of episodes. To me personally, they're very inspiring. Um, there was one, particularly there's one about um, how to build a startup, like how to be a startup founder. And it touches on some very basic things like, you know, uh, what is an idea maze? We've covered that a couple of times. Yeah. How do you, you know, how do you think about starting a company? How do you like actually, you know, Take, have that like leap of faith and just actually go do it. But also Mark touches on one of my favorite books. It's called The Courage to Be Disliked. Right. And a few of my friends have all uh, ended up reading the book after that episode where he Mark basically talks about how this book is one of uh, his like most recommended books. And it talks about uh, th this culture, especially for us, like, you know, as Indians, we have this where it's like, 
you want you you fit into this mold of just put your head down do the work you know don't try and take crazy risks that kind of thing i do think that mentality is shifting a lot in india and in, with indians uh but at least when we were growing up that was pretty much the norm like just get a safe job do the thing kind of thing and uh mark talks about you know how this book really is about um this author which just walks through the courage to being disliked and uh walks through this whole thing so that to me is like one of my favorite episodes it's also got like i think it is our most listened to episode on podcast if you look at just the metrics as such and for a very good reason it's also most shared and everything i love that uh from just like guest episode kind of thing i also love you know specific episodes for me um hey, hold on i just want to say uh, i just want to say the mark episode yeah. the best mark by far is our most popular fun guest but he's by far the most painful guest to have on the show right like so behind the scenes <laughs> i like and i hope this clip does go viral you have no idea i we need to book him for future episodes but let's go for it right you know because mark is going to have so many complaints right like the software doesn't work right like he'll fits around with the background you know there was an earlier episode where his background you know looked like he was in a prison cell uh, uh and you can't get him to change anything um and then couple of hours with the episode you know he would be like hey what are we talking about and then he'll give you like this couple of paragraphs say you are like oh okay so what are we going to do here and i did the other tricky part is like even with mark you kind of have to figure out how to uh, you know keep him out of trouble because he's going to go on these amazingly long very well thought out arguments and you got to figure out okay right like how do we get up like uh, uh you know uh, 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 direct it and i would say the amount of work that goes into the bark episodes is a lot but mark we love you come back on the show to be fair the I am artist, fair. this artist in this room namely you does not in your creative process you will not tell anybody what you want to talk about and so we all have to just ping you especially i've seen these at like mark and steven episodes steven sanof yeah. episodes and both of them are there they both will ping you being like what are we going to talk about we are going live in like 2 hours or something and you'll be like well you know we just like chat we'll figure it out i you know i love you we've been married for so long oh boy but <laughs> oh boy and i know how that is uh. but now nobody else knows how to deal with it right like they're all looking at it going okay, what the what yeah i i'm like, like mark is so give me a speak behind the scenes the way the mark episodes usually work is uh you know i'll just we just text him like maybe like a day before the episode I'll be like yo mark you should come back on the show uh, he'd be like okay when and i i'd be usually do it late at night and he'd say okay tomorrow night and and then we'd be like sure we're on and then a couple of episodes he's like what are we talking about and the reason by the way he wants to do is because he wants to be very prepared one of the things you may not see about mark is he wants to be very very prepared when he goes on any episode and you know has his argument start out etc and you kind of give you that but he said he's not what you want to talk to him he'd be like because i just be like yeah we're going to talk to you tomorrow right and, and and me i'm like anthony hopkins in this scenario so anthony hopkins very famously when you know he does a scene there are many many kinds of actors and anthony hopkins you know there are some who are like i'm going to give you um you know i'm going to be rehearsed you know in every single way possible i know every little movement of my body inflection of my voice and so when the cameras hit roll i'm going to you know nail it right uh, he is famous for wanting to never rehearse and the reason he says is that he would love to kind of capture that energy where things just kind of uh, you know when you go live and it just really works uh, and he wants to kind of like just capture that 
ineffable quantity. And if you rehearse too many times, it's a little bit like a fruit, which is get, the juice is sort of squeezed out of it. The, the spontaneity is lost. And yeah, I sort of lean towards more towards the Sir Anthony Hopkins school of thought for privilege. Like, let's just do it light. Let's not rehearse this thing. You'll feel squeezed out. Yeah, but this also goes for presentations. I think there is a, we're going, by the way, we're going like, Five tang- This is like one of these Balaji episodes where kind of like five tangents below. I did a pop the stack. Um, uh, While you're at it, why don't you dislike five more people? <laughs> just, hey, I just raised your Anthony. But Balaji too, if you watch the episode, you're like, you know, you're like, you start off with like, hey, Balaji, how's your week been? And like, you know, uh, tw- five minutes later, you're talking about how the FDA is the worst thing to mankind. You're like, how do we get here? Right. But it's happened. Like, this is actually a true story. Go back, watch the episode. But, and, uh, uh, but I think so. It, okay. 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 So what's, what's your favorite episode? Let's like unwind. Oh boy. Part. Okay. Uh, there's been so many. I think they're all special in a few ways. Um, I think they're all special in different ways, right? I would say, uh, there are ones where, uh, we had never met the person. We were fans of their work. And they were just so nice and warm. And we just totally fanboyed out in a couple of ways. I think the two fanboy episodes, I would say, is one is Andy Weir of The Martian. Yeah. Which, by the way, I don't know the room, is one of the first episodes we did this year. So Andy, we just cold emailed him. He was huge fans. He was so gracious, came on. And we just, he was a blast, right? Like, um, and, you know, I was kind of a little bit sad that that episode, in terms of metrics, didn't do as others. I think it's actually one of the most fun we had in the episode. So if folks don't get a chance, if you're a fan of sci-fi, do do watch it because he was such amazing. But I, I don't know you love that episode too. I I loved Andy Weir's episode. Uh, you know, obviously I love the books. Just big fan. I think uh, we recorded it a few months after Project Hail Mary um, was written, both got published, and uh, you know, again, brilliant book. So we just got to like nerd out a lot about. I think my favorite part in that episode is how he basically reverse engineered or reverse deduced what the alien should be like like the characteristics and the behaviors like what would they look like what would they breathe why like and so on and it was it was just brilliant because they were like well you know this is if if you imagine this is to be this is a constellation that they are in and this is the solar system they are in and this has like these many moons and you know probably there are not much gravity there so they're going to have to like be like this and you know and it just like works his way back so as much as this is pure fiction it is incredibly rooted in science, like deep, well-thought-out science. And I love that. Just really enjoyed the episode. Um, yeah, if you watch the episode, I think, uh, like Aarti saying, you'll actually see how he constructs the book because it comes, he, he sort of reverse engineers the book from the science, which I've never yeah, exactly. seen uh, done before. Okay, I mean, give me another favorite one, uh, Anders Hellsbrook. Right, yeah, Anders was great. Anders was so genuine, so charming. After all these years, it just felt like we were back at Microsoft and uh, just getting to like nerd out about programming languages. You know, when we joined Microsoft uh, many, many years ago, Shiram and I would like look up to a lot of these super smart people who like, you know, wrote like the quintessential, the canonical emulation system, mm-hmm. or the canonical garbage collector. You know, they're like the people who built these like foundational computer science things. And Anders is very much one of them, right? So it kind of, teleported us back to that era of like just working with talking to meeting these like wonderful people who are just deep experts like one of the few experts in the world on this one topic and they just spent their entire lives dedicated to it and are just so genuine about it and willing to share and oh, just yeah. so kind about it oh yeah i just love that i think the thing with the anders episode is i don't know if folks realize this is 
before Ati and I kind of have this entire career, you know, the last 10 years with you, with your companies, and now, um, you know, um, Facebook and Rhythm and me with social media is where this previous life had been loud programming languages. And yeah. Anders was a yeah. god. Um, and this was a little bit of us, uh, you know, going in and meeting one of your childhood heroes. And there's a little bit of, we watch the episode, uh, and I think there's a YouTube comment, which I think nailed it. There's they're like, Sridham is so giddy, right? Like, and because I, I was so happy, because we never met him when you were at Microsoft, right? And here we are in very different stages of a career. And I was a fan. You know, when you meet like, you know, one of your idols, like a basketball player, like, and you want to show off that you remember all these details. So during the episode, you see me, you know, to be honest, Trying like me, like, hey, I remember this programming language thing that you did, and blah, blah. And Anders also was so generous, so uh, appreciative. And I think, like you said, there is something so beautiful, almost romantic, about this guy, about this idea that you spend your entire life dedicated to this one thing. And you don't know it's going to work. Like when he, when he started off, you know, he grows up in a small town. You don't know it's going to work, and it just works. And he's so, and it's just one of the most beautiful episodes. Okay, I'm going to throw some couple of other episodes up to you uh, and see what you think. Uh, Nathan Merwold. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, if you watch that episode, there is this whole story of me running into Nathan, right? Like that's kind of like how it all the whole thing starts. So I, I've actually met Nathan in person. Both Shriram and I are huge fans. Huge fans, not just for his like work in the in the world of tech, right? Like, you know, obviously his contributions are like amazing, but he's one of those like modern age renaissance men. This is like a bit like like Anders, but like a little bit opposite of him. I'll tell you what I mean. This is a guy who picks up different topics, different entire industries, but becomes like a world expert in them, mm -hmm. right? Like he's just so smart that he can pick completely tangential different areas and just become serious experts, whether it's photography, and he's published a bunch of books on it, um, knives, and I'm not even making this up. He's just developed different knives. Oh, yes. Um, ways to um he's he's developed like a different kind of like pizza making oven uh, -huh. uh gone like super super deep into these completely different topics he's done like expeditions like travels the world just does a lot like lives this like super larger than life uh kind of life as such and uh just total true joy to just like listen to this guy just talk yeah and we just learned a lot had so much fun just listening to that episode uh, i think a couple of things about the episode i'll say as Ati said like one is like you know again another we have huge fans of him growing up um is one is he's so obviously smart right and you see this in the, all the another episode with Stephen Wolfram, which i'll come to in a second but so it's oh, so, yeah. so clearly such a genius nathan is second part is uh you know i think one of the things that give you real pleasure as a podcaster is sometimes when you get a question where the guest goes like, aha, right? And it's an aha in the moment, like it's a combination of, oh, I've never been asked this before, or you've done your real homework, or I am now, you know, you know the meme where they kind of lean in, the video game guy kind of leans in, they're going to lean in, right? Like, so I have so many examples, like other podcasts talk about this a lot. Like, you know, if you look at Tyler Cohen, a couple of years ago, uh, his opening question to Carlo Kunasgaard with the struggle, it just blows him away. And, you know, and with, so I think I bring this up because with Nathan, I think I, I only got this a few times in our show, but I got probably the most unique version of that qu question where I asked him like how to make a good omelet. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and if you and the reason that it was so special, and if you watch it, he's so happy because he's actually in some 
exotic interview, he actually talked about how hard it was and we had dug it up. And he's so happy. Like it's one of these examples of, it's a very, it's a very great moment, I think, even if we sort of, uh, since, even if we, we did ourselves, because one, the guest is super thrilled. Uh, second, it's super accessible for the audience, right? Because it's so simple. It's one of those things where you're like asking LeBron James, like how to shoot a jump shot or something. Like, because you see a combination of real mastery and then something which is so mundane um, and every day and the, <laughs> together. Yeah. Uh, but you can sort of feel it in the moment uh, with Nathan and else like, aha, like, you know, uh, at least this question, these folks came um, prepared. Uh, let's do one or two more. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, Rob McElhinney. Oh, wow. Um, I forgot that we did Rob this year. Uh, for some reason, it feels much, much longer yep. than, you know, 2023. Okay, so we can say this now. We were very stressed out about Rob coming in. So no offense, but these Hollywood people are just not good at this stuff, right? Like they rarely show up on time. They are all over the place. And we were just really worried that it was going to be one of those. Mm-hmm. But can I, can, I, can I, this Hollywood people, uh, which is, uh, and Aarti is making a point that Rob is not one of them. But one thing about Hollywood people, they always dial in on their phones. Right, like, and I'm like, Bill Dodd on his phone. But he was, if you remember. (laughs) So that is one diss on Rob. I will say that I was like, oh come on, you could have like just pulled up a laptop. I'm sure somebody has a laptop there. But then he spent all this phone. But he spent all this time trying to frame the background, right? Like he was like he looked around himself. He was like, you know, he had you could sort of see all the uh, Hollywood stuff kick in, and he was like, you know, do I actually know what is the 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 frame for the shot going to look like? Yeah, exactly. So I mean, but he showed up, was fully prepared, had actually done some groundwork because we had like initially hosted him in the previous like the audio only version. So he had kind of like followed through and like had like touched upon like what we covered then. Sriram, I think you're asking me about that episode because he was so nice to you. He said a bunch of things about like meeting you and uh, was just very deeply impressed by you. So... Uh, Editor, if you're watching this, make sure you include all these segments right here at this point. I'm going to pause so we get that more clean blick. (laughs) Okay, now let's keep going. But... (laughs) <laughs> but to me, I think, you know, obviously the friendship between him and uh, Ryan Reynolds, I think that was great. Um, yeah, you know, them co-owning this team. I think the Netflix documentary series had just come up. We had played that clip mm-hmm. and that was great. Uh, and so it, it was a very lightweight, super fun episode. And it really delivered because that was kind of what we were going in. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's like you want an episode to go some way, but it goes in a totally different way. And it's completely out of your control. You just have to like let the guests do their thing. But with the, Rob, we kind of thought this is how it was going to go, and it did. Yes. And it, it and it truly delivered. Yeah. And there are sometimes when it when it truly delivers on what we expect it to be, it just you just feel good about it. Like I, I like predictable outcomes, and it's yeah, oh, yes. very predictable in a good way. I'll give you a story about Rob, which is uh, the episode's fantastic. By the way, one of the, my favorite things about the episode is we opened it with, uh, I think this was your idea, showing a clip of him and Ryan Reynolds celebrating with uh, the Rexim right. uh, promotion right. win, and it was so great because yeah. it's the right emotional drop the bat, and Rob was fantastic. We talked about it. In the episode, he talks about it. But the point I was going to make was, this is the second time we had Rob on the show. The previous incarnation of Rob on the show was in our Clubhouse days, which is pure audio. Yeah. And my memory from that episode with Clubhouse was we had never met Rob. He had never met us. Right. We were just like two random people. He was coming on. He was promoting Mythic Quest at the time. We hadn't known each other. We know worked together a little bit, obviously, through, uh, yeah, through a bunch of stuff. 
I remember thinking like, this guy is such a consummate professional in the sense that uh, he was so good at the verbal tennis, right? You throw a joke, he's going to respond to it, right? Like yeah. he's going to like True. direct the energy of it. It was such an easy conversation. And if you watch the episode, if you watch Rob's side of it, you see like how easy he makes it for uh, our source. It's a brilliant episode. Okay, what are the other episodes that really stood out to you this year? Let's see. Um, I loved all of our you know, just honorable mention, like what we call solo episodes, right? We basically took the feedback from a lot of you listening. You know, some some of you just reached out and said, why don't you cover topic X? Like you were just like, you know, not a guest, not anybody else, but just you guys sitting down and talking about a topic in depth. And so we kind of took that up as a challenge to ourselves and uh, did that. And it worked out really well. One, we felt really good about it. We felt like you know, we were actually responding to like you being our customers. We were like actually like taking customer mm-hmm. feedback and like doing something with it. That felt really good. But also these are one of our best performing episodes. So clearly it also worked out well from like a consumption from like just people finding value in these episodes. It was most of these episodes were shared. And we know because Spotify will tell us uh, these episodes were shared by via direct link. So somebody who's listening basically takes a link and just shares it over to one of their friends and say, hey, you got to listen to this kind of thing. I love those. And we covered a whole range of topics, right? I think, sure, I'm like one of your favorites, I'd like to think, is the one on networking. Mm-hmm. And uh, we covered that in like as great detail as we could. We covered the most recent one was on angel investing. How do you get into it? Why should you do it? Why should you not do it? That kind of thing. We picked a bunch of topics and I loved every one of those. So, I mean, I feel like for 2024, we're going to do a lot more of these. Uh, on just me and Shriram just talking and covering topics. I mean, I love guests, don't get me wrong, but like also when when we have guests in the show, it's very hard for us to actually have a conversation uh-huh. and opine on things or share, you know, our knowledge or what we've learned there because we, obviously we don't want to like um, take space away or take time away from the guests sitting here. These solo episodes just worked out great. Yeah, I think... It also teaches us a lot about, uh, you know, to use your phrase, our customers, which is all of you watching this, which is we get to do a little bit of customer discovery. And, you know, I think obviously, you know, the people watching this are from all walks of life in many different ages. But I think the thing which is common among them is they want to just be better at their craft and what they do. Sometimes they have a little bit more of a, you know, like a corporate, you know, professional bias, which they want to get better at the the sort of like you know uh, you know at the careers and you know um, and being better at like their job, but there is definitely an element of like I want to be better at what I do, and that has been the underlying thing. Like often I spend a lot of time talking about like what is the show about, and one of the things you always hit on is like our things when we put out content that is about people being better at the things that they choose to do that always does really well. So that's kind of like been an amazing theme. And if you're watching this, you know, please do reach out to us, send us an email. Like we've done entire episodes because somebody sent us a thoughtful email about it. And we were like, oh, this we should absolutely do this because Spencer made a great, made a great case for it. So please do. And uh, that we expect to see a lot more. But okay. So, okay. That's enough on the episodes. Now, yeah, 2023, okay, has been an interesting year personally. Uh, we moved cities. So talk about that. So the London move, how has it been? Yeah. Yeah. I look, I mean, our our story, if you're joining us, we have more recent listener. We moved from India to Seattle in 2007. Uh, and then we were there in Seattle until 2011 or so. 
And then since then, 2011, we moved to San Francisco. We've always, you know, wanted to live in San Francisco, wanted to be near startup founders, work with them, start companies ourselves. Like that was kind of the dream. So we spent a lot of time in San Francisco. We, we've moved houses, we've moved neighborhoods, we've done all of that, right? Um, especially like once we had kids, we moved to a bigger place from our apartment, all of that. So we've done moves, but all within the city itself. This is the first time, especially post-kids, we basically packed our bags and just moved countries. And so now we live in London. We've lived here, this is our fifth month, I think, fourth month, something like that. So like we've actually moved. We now call this home our postcode, zip code is all different. And it's it's very different. It's a different life. I'm actually kind of proud of it. You know, I, I didn't, it, there was a time in our lives where we were like, well, you know, we kind of say we want to like, we can always move or we have the ability to move, we can do things. But I never thought we'd actually do it or would have an opportunity to go do it. Uh, or if the opportunity does arise, we would actually like be willing to do it because it is a lot of work. It is stressful. You kind of have to like, once you've like put your roots down, there's so much that you need to do to like just start over. Um, and so uh, I just didn't think we were actually going to do it and be serious about it. So I'm actually kind of happy that, you know, 2023, we kind of took it upon ourselves to like actually make the move and move countries. I, I think so much of it, I think, look, obviously there was a big uh, work reason to do this in the sense that uh, uh, yeah, why are we here, sir? I'm like, why? Uh, well, yeah, I do try very, very much to not talk too much about the firm and Anderson Orbitz here. But, you know, look, obviously, uh, we are big believers in the UK and we're big believers in the ecosystem here, especially when it comes to Web3 and crypto. And, you know, um, we announced earlier this year we're going to set up an office and we're going to do all these amazing things next year. Uh, you can read a lot more about it in a lot of other things we do. But there's always that is kind of the driving factor, right? And so maybe something people don't know is that all this came over very quickly where we made the announcement and then Aarti and I had to kind of figure out, okay, how are we going to handle it personally um, to actually go make that happen? I would say that, you know, a few things. One is like, uh, and look, all of this kind of obviously goes to caveats that we have a lot of resource and help that maybe not everyone has. But one is like, if you, kids are actually very much more malleable than you think, where mm. our kids have sort of adapted very, very quickly. And, you know, they're very much younger, so they're kind of like both sub five. So, you know, it's definitely a good age for them to go move. And uh, um, that has been very good. And uh, the second part is, uh, you know, for us also, it's kind of like hard for a couple of months, but now, you know, you kind of, you know, have your systems and, people and rhythms and the gym that you go to and all of that and you feel a lot more grounded i don't think it was a good muscle to exercise and you know and i was thinking about for example like nba players right like every couple of years if you're not like a really top tier superstar you may be traded and before you know it you're like well you know i'm getting a call and being traded to this team and you have no time to prep and you're going to show up practice and you got to and i was thinking about like the them renting a house and all that and i think it's kind of a good life skill because it makes you one be very portable in your things, right? So, for example, we left so much of our things behind or, you know, uh, or gave it away or whatever because we're like, we don't need much, right? Like, honestly, I spent a lot of my time just thinking about my laptop and computer setup more than anything else. And so did both of us. So you realize you don't really need much. The second part of it is that it also gives you a chance to clean house on your habits and routines and a little bit like spring cleaning in a way. So when we moved here, it was a chance for us because we had to put everything from scratch, right? We had to put together outside the kids' uh, routines, like where are we going to go to a gym? 
what is a nearby gym you know where do we want to like go to all the other things that we go to what is a uh, a good restaurant we should order take out from or any of the little things that make up life you kind of have to figure out from first principles or at least things that you like or the nearby coffee shop that you want to go maybe do a meeting at or you know go take your laptop to and i think doing that from scratch it kind of gives you a chance to basically redo a lot of your habits which has been very useful for us Yeah, I agree with that. All of that. I think uh look, I will say this. We always like to think we are portable. I think most people, most couples would like to think, oh, you know, you can just do it. I think even push comes to shove, would you do it? If you had the opportunity to, would it be worth it? And uh how do you quantify whether it is like has been a good move, has been successful versus not? You know, you kind of have to figure it out. For us, I will say this, like the good parts we can show we can showcase that we did it especially this year you know we both both shriram and i had like milestone birthdays mm-hmm. and uh it's kind of an important year for us right. and so for us you know we kind of looked at it as like f it let's just go and just go figure it out and uh i think that kind of paid off because in our minds it gave us like you know there's so little that we need really need as like an identity uh and so we realized that you know we can basically start over and build stuff this yeah. is one Yeah, I, um, I, I sorry, I think moment which I think about is when Brian Armstrong came on our show and he said if I can want to rebuild Coinbase I can do it with my laptop because I've done it before does it little theme yeah, like exactly. yeah Exactly. So, you know, I think uh, one of uh, we forgot to talk about this episode is by Paul Bukai mm. and you know one of us like my favorite blog post that he had written was I am nothing um and he talks about this right like you want to keep your identity surface area as small as possible and not get like so affiliated and rooted to This is what we always did. This is what our customs are. This like, you know, you can have your own like what is true to you, but really keep your identity surface area as like low as possible. And it felt like this was a good opportunity for us to go do that. Um I think for kids, you know, we kind of were really worried about them, but like what you said, they just like picked it up and like went with it. We didn't even like bring it's it's very expensive to like actually move all the things over because of customs and duties and it takes months to ship everything over from US to UK so we just said packed a few suitcases and said that was it like we're not bringing everything and uh that worked because the kids we were like oh but what about this toy and what oh, about yeah. these things and they completely forgot about it and it didn't matter at all but in our heads we were like oh we're being such shitty parents like yeah. this is a thing that we should have like brought with us and all of that and it none of that stuff mattered i think uh uh you know all the routines everything from like you know we are now living in a different house different systems uh different everything i have no friends no network we don't know the neighbors uh-huh. um like none of that we kind of have to like start over and so you know for the first month or so it was all like school moms and dads like those were the people we would like always run into from like my kid's school kind of thing but it was great because we just had to like start over and like you know do the thing that we said we were good at and we just like you know went in and for me For example, I met went and met a lot of founders here. Just like did a lot of like coffee meetings, just got to know the scene as such. That was great. I get a lot of energy from just meeting founders and builders and just people tinkering and that was great. And you know, it was good to do that. I think on the con side, we have to talk about the things that were like hard or not great. Time zones making it work is brutal. It's still brutal, right? Like this week, you know, not much happening at work week. Like it's like this go dark period and uh I'm realizing how in the last 4 5 months I've all like we've had to like not be around for basic small things if like you know you want to hang out with friends or like do anything you just can't because the evening time is really like peak meeting time and like when everybody just to, like, just so people folks understand yeah. 
it's because, you know, given though we are in the UK, uh, a lot of things that we do, people we interact with, people work with, especially for you and for us, are people in Pacific time zone um, um, back on the West Coast uh, or sometimes East Coast, yeah. but Pacific time zone. And the, hence, there's a lot of these late night, because late night, let's say 10 p.m., 11 p.m., London is about... Yeah. 1 p.m., 2 p.m. in San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there are days when, you know, Shriram in my meetings would end at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., something like that. And it's it's rough, right? Like, and then, you know, morning you kind of have to do like the school drop-offs and everything because you still want to like do all of that. And so we're still figuring out the time zone stuff and how to make it work. It's a bit of a challenge, uh, but, you know, we'll make it work and uh, we're just working through it. That was one. I don't know if you feel this, Shriram, but... You know, there are points when I feel like we're a bit disconnected from, you know, folks we know, in especially in the San Francisco Bay Area scene. Especially when I see, like, through the holiday season, like, people meeting up, uh, you know, our friends sending us photos of, like, them meeting up, that kind of thing. I'm like, oh, man, like, I wish I was there. Uh, there's a little bit of that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, that way. I, I think... Yes and no. I don't really feel that because I think obviously, look, there are people sort of we knew very well. Tap school, we don't get to see, but in sort of the more broad tech scene, quote unquote, yeah. it. I, yeah. I feel like the moment you open up X and or the moment you open up, I don't know, Signal or Telegram or Discord, you're so plugged in to anything and everything, yeah. and you don't yeah. really feel away. But I, it is true that you know, you, you given that we lived in the Bay Area for so many years, so many of our people we kind of hung out with, you know, just socially and, you know, our parents of other kids or whatnot, we're all live in the Bay Area. So that, you definitely feel more disconnected from them. And that'll be, I sort of, aware of fact, that'll probably change with time in London as we kind of get to know more people here. But that's definitely, that's definitely a fact. And then uh, just one last thing I want to leave with is we went to India last week. Holy shit, it was such a game changer to have like a 14-hour, 13-hour flight. Oh, yeah. As opposed to like a whole day of traveling. Like for folks, who've traveled from West Coast to anywhere in India with kids, you know what I'm what exactly I'm talking about. It is crazy. Like you kind of have to like plan like in the olden days, you went for like a month long journey in a ship or something. And, uh, you know, here, London is so in the center oh, of yes. the world that you could basically go anywhere in the world within like a reasonable amount of time. And that is a true game changer. Like, you oh, know, yes. for us, we travel a lot. Shriram travels a lot, I travel a lot, and uh, it's just great to just hop on a flight and get there and not feel like, oh my God, you spent an entire day just going from one place to the other. I think it gives you an appreciation. I mean, in some ways, sometimes you have to experience it yourself to understand some part of history. And living here now, and obviously for folks in the UK, this may seem laughable, obviously we understood this, but it's like you realize why London is such, so amazing, or the UK is so amazing for mm -hmm. international business trade uh, for centuries because you live in the perfect time zone. You live so centrally. There is almost nowhere in the world you can't just get on a flight for 10 hours from and be there. For example, if you're in the West Coast, like doing meetings with, say, Japan or Singapore is so brutal. But here it's much easier. And, um, and the if you're on the East Coast or if you are in sort of the other side, it becomes a lot easier. I, I sort of understand now why like this place has always been such a hub for, especially for finance and trade, where the time zones really matter so much. Um, and you, you get the feeling of you are an international hub. Um, and I'll have a lot more to say next year about like you know why I really think 
people should think about moving here and building businesses here but i living here i now totally get it in a way which i only understood intellectually uh before okay hey one once la final thing big bonus for me is to see shriram in suits oh yes shriram just has done a policy meeting so now he's wearing suits ah. and my whole life i never got to do that cuz suits was always a thing that you would like have one off for like a friend's wedding or something that you would just have to like bring out dry clean put it on and then it goes away into storage for you know years and now you wear suits and then and it's it's kind of a nice surprise oh my god uh yes i do i have gone from one suit to many suits and uh i think obviously a lot of it's because i spend a lot of time talking to uh, people uh for example like last week yeah you folks may have seen on twitter i you know i was meeting the lord mayor of london i met the king uh his majesty at buckingham palace which was uh, nice flex there yeah i, I, I <laughs> hey you know what you know i'm going to i'm, I'm going to that i think that's a flex i i'm allowed to make that was very cool that was a very very cool moment you know and all those things like you want to feel like you are dressed to pay respect to the institution that you're in and um and because these these places in the institutions have 700 years of history uh if not more so got to wear a suit so yes i am now sort of you know uh, who's a guy on twitter uh who talks about dressing a lot right like you know i i didn't kind of get him to go well with some of my suits because i have a few now but that's been fun uh well, i'm not sure it's fun but definitely been a change for sure uh, yeah. uh but okay <laughs> all right moving on from my attire um okay movies and books of the year okay let's go through yeah it has been an interesting year for movies i would say uh in some ways this is a book which one let's start with movies okay interesting movies okay, that stand so out what are your favorite movies what are your most memorable movies of 2023 um i think there's some good ones and the bad ones i think the good one and this sort of an obvious choice in many ways as has to be oppenheimer it just felt like a shared experience where everyone is watching it at the very very same time and you watched it you be watched it on IMAX with uh, uh the 70mm IMAX which was kind of the optimum way i made arthi wait for 2 3 weeks so we could actually watch it it's a right format uh, I, 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 she was not happy about it and i would say there are so many things going on there the fact that a half black and white half color Three hour long movie about a historical figure about the atomic bomb generated over a billion dollars. The fact that it sparked off so many cultural conversations, you know, whether it's a metaphor for AI, whether it is a metaphor for so many other things, and uh, it was just cinema at its best, and it just makes you go like, okay, cinema is alive and well and thriving as a medium. Uh, that and Barbie, it Barbie Heimer, the phenomenon, it being a pop culture moment, you just can't make that up. So I would say Oppenheimer, even if the movie hadn't been good, which it was, what it sort of represented as a cultural moment has to be, I think, the standard of 2023. Yeah, I mean, I would say that for both the movies, I mean, even for like, the Barbie movie, a lot of people went into it expecting it to be like really terrible. And uh, we're all like kind of surprised and kind of went with it. And it's like, you know, it's we watched it Um and you know the first 10 minutes and you're like oh okay like this is not what i expected oppenheimer huge expectations especially for us in the tech world as such you know there's like all these like parallels to is this about ai really like is this kind of the future that kind of thing so there it sparked off a lot of conversations around it we were interested in it because it's just you know i think sure i'm like you've read the the oppenheimer book uh and you've been wanting to watch this for a long time and so i feel like it totally delivered right uh from just like what we thought it was going to be 
the cinematography, storytelling, all the acting, like it was just very, very well done, really nicely done movie at the end of it. So those two movies, uh, Oppenheimer especially, I think are like the the big, it's the summer of 2023 uh, movies. I, I have a question for you. Do you think Oppenheimer was actually about AI? Because I remember the whole narrative around then, but thinking back no, about now, I feel like I mean, maybe it wasn't about AI at all. Maybe it was just about, uh, you know, Oppenheimer himself. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I, Did you ever get kind of a resolution yeah. on the topic? I don't think it was meant to be this like, oh, we're actually talking about AI, even though we're talking about nuclear. I think it is really about, I will say it was about like some... Is it, okay, let me ask you something. This is a future reference for later on the show. Is it EAC or is it D-cell? <laughs> uh, it, it's D-cell, right? Like I think uh, it is really meant to showcase this like boogeyman, this this techno boogeyman. It's like, oh, something bad is going to happen and the whole world is going to end. We don't know what that is. You don't know what that is. We can't quantify it. There is no shape to it. It's not exactly AI, but it's like some mumbo jumbo new tech. Yeah, I mean, wait, hold on. Just hang here. Okay, reducing the AI safety debate to mumbo jumbo was a bit much. But in this case, the act, the mumbo jumbo was like this could blow up the world, which was a much more real threat than AI. No, I agree. I'm saying, was it like a wink wink to, oh, AI is going to end the world? I don't think so. That was not what the movie was trying to do. But I do think the movie was decelled in a way that it was trying to be, there are all these technologies that could be bad, who knows? And, you know, one of them could like really wreck us. Like that was kind of the the overarching kind of narrative. Like they didn't pick on like any one thing, but it was going to be like, who knows these things, tech bad yeah. kind of thing, which I, you know, I take huge issues with. Like at the end of the day, it's math. Like, okay, fuck off. Um, and you, you just can't be like, Ooh, who knows what these are going to be? Well, tell us what that is. Like, what should we be afraid of when no one will? Uh, well, I would say the movie would say the thing we should be afraid of is what Matt Damon says, which is like, yeah, zero, zero would be nice, right? Like, you know, they're blowing up the world. Like, that's the line. Okay, but okay, uh, let me ask you. So, we are officially saying Christopher Nolan, Diesel, you heard it here first. Uh, what are other movies that stirred you this year? Or what are the themes about cinema that stirred you this year? Themes about cinema. Uh, the John Wick movie showed up. I think oh, that was the final brilliant. chapter. That was brilliant. That was good. Really, not the them. final yeah. chapter, by the way. I think there are rumors, uh, maybe confirmed or not, that they're no gonna... way. Oh yeah, really? they're, okay. They're, which is why I think so. I'm blanking on whether Keanu Reeves said this, but I'm pretty sure he did. But uh, apparently, he wanted uh, spoiler alert for those of you who are not seeing John Wick Four. It's brilliant. But in the last sequence, where he sort of lies down on the steps of uh, 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 Sacrecar, if I remember right. He's supposed to die. Yeah. They're supposed to show him actually die. Yeah. But in the movie, they kind of leave it a little hazy, right? Like, they never actually show him die. He just lies down. And it is because I think there was pressure to leave open the chance of a sequel. And I think I read somewhere, uh, I could be wrong, um, about them actually thinking of making a sequel. But that movie was brilliant, right? Like, if you folks haven't seen it, highly recommend watching it. The fight sequences, the visual style, there's so many diverse styles in the movie. The Tokyo sequence, the stairs up uh, Sakakur, uh, and yeah. then the then the contrast with the duel at the end. Uh, uh, there is so many things which is uh, it just peak poetry and cinema in so many ways. I think yeah. Uh, brilliant. Yeah, really well. Can I say for a totally different honorable mention movie, which you probably you didn't put it in your list, but our daughter really likes it, and we have to mention it. It's the new Paw Patrol movie. Yes, which is been a 
it, which Shreeram has been so surprised by. I don't know why he's so surprised by it, but he loves the plot of it. We watched it twice already. Oh God! Just yes. in the holidays. Yes, I love this movie. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So this is uh, if you folks are parents, uh, people are going to sit up, sit, <laughs> sit, sit right up, and everyone's going, "What are we talking about?" Okay. So for those of you who are not parents, Paw Patrol is um, is one of two or three incredibly popular. Franchises. If you have a kid under six, seven, eight, you definitely know. The other is Bluey. There's a couple of others. And the basic premise is you basically have this kind of cast of superhero uh, dogs, boss, uh, spoiler, and they go save the day. Now, there is this animated show, which I think has several seasons. And, it, and I think every format of the show is kind of like this Saturday morning cartoon procedural. There is like usually a Gosh, I can't believe I'm saying so much explaining this, but uh, let's finish this. So uh, th- there is usually a, uh, you know, like a pup going up a tree or gets lost. Uh, there's a chicken which gets lost every single time. And, you know, the pup- pups have to go and rescue them. Right? And every pup has a thing. One of them is very good at water and fire. And they go do their thing, right? But the pups are in a character development. And if you look at the show, it gets like, you're like, okay, it's, it's very much like very much a pattern here. Um, and if you're a parent, you're kind of watching this when your kid is watching it. And so the movie which just came out, it's a sequel, um, by the way, is uh, two things. One is uh, they expand the franchise in a different way, uh, which has been explored in the TV show before, but the first time movies, which is they get superpowers, right? They get asteroids, they become superpowers, they become like the Avengers. But the thing is, it, it now has great character plot development, uh, upgraded CGI. You can actually watch this. It's, it's super fun. It's, it's super fun to watch. So I, I didn't like the movie and it's a hit with the kids. So huge thumbs up for the Paw Patrol, uh, uh, the Mighty Pups uh, movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. What do you think of the the Spider-Man movie, the Spider-Verse one? Oh, again, brilliant. I think, you know, so I'm going to tell you something else. So I, I would say one of the big themes of 2024 for cinema has been the slow spiraling and the obvious downfall of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? And there's so many Ooh. things. Which, oh, yes, right? I never thought you would say that. Uh, yes, and this is so hard for me to say, but uh, but like many, many others, I was obsessed with Marvel. I would watch every movie. The feeling when the flipbook animation plays at the beginning of a movie was just spectacular. And you were like, and you know, I think some of my favorite cinema moments, whether... Uh, it's I Am Iron Man to the Guardians of the Galaxy first movie to, uh, you know, a, 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 like Wakanda Forever to, you know, my favorite is the the last sequence in Avengers Endgame. Like some of the best cinema I think ever created. Uh, and they kind of figured out so many things, how to build this multi-movie franchise, how to do a superhero. Like before the first Avengers with Joss Whedon, nobody had figured out the superhero team-up movie. They did figure out all that. But I think for the first time, and this has been explored in multiple sort of media, you know, I didn't feel like I wanted to go see movies. I didn't see Ant-Man and Quantumania. I haven't seen the Marvels. I think we actually saw Ant-Man and Quantumania on a flight. I haven't seen the Marvels yet. But there may be one or two others which are actually just missing and to lack of interest. And there are many, many factors. Uh, they've they obviously been also been impacted by too much TV on Disney+. Plus and obviously Jonathan Majors uh, got getting convicted and his legal troubles, uh, which has happened. So, but the TLDR is that Marvel is no longer must-watch content. And there has been a question about whether superheroes uh, movies are a little bit like Westerns from 1960s. So if we're going to go back to the 1970s, you get this like huge series of Westerns, which you know my dad was a huge fan of. And then they kind of died off because there was just pleasure. They kind of you told, you told every story. And then in 1990, Unforgiven comes out, which is kind of seen as the capstone of Western movies. Like, oh, well, nobody, you know, it's kind of like 20 years have gone by and, you know, it's kind of like an era in the past of The Last Cowboy in some ways. And there's been this question about are superhero movies done? 
right? Like for example, last week, Aarti, I don't really know this. Do you know that a sequel to Aquaman came out this week in theaters? Sure. Um, I never know these things. I only know them because you inevitably drag me to the theaters, which I'm so glad you've stopped doing. Yeah. So Shriram's one of those people who, in our WhatsApp threads on like other like movie buffs or whatever, he's the one who's staunchly defending some really shitty Marvel movie, right? And it makes me feel so bad because I'm sitting there in this theater being like, why? Why? Like, I have two hours. Why am I sitting here wasting this time? I could literally be doing anything else. I could be taking a nap. I could be doing anything else. And Sriram would be like, it wasn't so bad. It was okay. Like, sure, the ending could have been better. But, and it makes you feel so bad about it. But now I'm really glad that things have gotten so bad that even for Sriram's low bar, yeah. it is now even lower than that, where he's like, all right, you know what? I just cannot defend this thing anymore. Oh, gosh. So, By the way, we had a no, great... I never know of these movies coming out because they're all so bad to me. Yeah, this week, this week, you know, I think they kind of slid it out in a week when nobody wanted to watch it, uh, is the second Aquaman, which is the end of the DC Extended Universe. And, you know, people are like, please, just go to this. Let's get rid of this. By the way, we had a great guest who talked about this, David Goyer, right? Like, you know, oh, um, and yeah. and we also, you know, I think we had actually a couple of guests who kind of talked about this uh, in terms of like comic books and movies and, you know, what has been harboring, happening with uh, uh, the cinematic universe, like Mark Guggenheim of the Arrowverse was the other person who talked about it yeah. on our show. Yeah. And anyway, so this is a roundabout answer to your question on Spider-Man, uh, which is it showed that you can still make freaking cool superhero movies, right? It was so fresh, right? It was a sequel to a very beloved uh, first animated movie. And the sequels always have a huge challenge of like, you have to stay close to the spirit of the first movie, which is a hit, but you got to go different in so many ways. This movie did all of that. It was so creative uh, with, uh, you know, all the different Spider-Men and expanding the character in so many ways. I think the only part I didn't love was it was a little bit of part one of two. So you kind of have to watch the other movies, I think coming out in a year or two uh, because of the strike. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it showed you that you can make superhero movies which just feel fresh and cool and uh, like unlike you see it, you know, something you've never seen before. So I think it gave me hope that you can still watch superhero movies, right? Like that was kind of a very, very yeah. good feeling. So, all right, let's move on from movies. What about books? What was uh, sort of your notable books of the year? Notable books of 2023. I mean, honestly, I did such a poor job. Sure, I mean, you were much better at it. I initially, I wanted to be like, oh, well, I'll try and do like read like one book a week kind of thing. Fell way short of that, was just really bad at it. Same with just like, you know, keeping in touch and all of that. Like, you know, I just think like all my systems, everything got changed. So hopefully 2024 will be better. But there were a few books for me, at least it stood out. Given that we are in this tech world and tech industry, it's a bit of a cliche, but I really did like the Elon Musk book. Uh -huh. um, and uh, the... I, I live I part of the Elon Musk book. True, that's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was inspiring for me. Like, you know, you just... Uh, you, you look through everything that uh, Elon Musk has done, all the companies he's founded, his like origin story, all of it, all the way to like where he is. And, you know, it like pretty much catches up to like current day, right? And there is just so much. And so I loved it. I really enjoyed it. I'm not surprised that it's one of the most read books of the year or like, you know, I think Amazon yeah. puts up a list. Waterstones, which is a bookstore in London, puts up a list. It tops like all of those book lists um, for a yeah. very good reason. I actually I think that was good. Yes. That book was a bit hard for me to deal with because uh, uh, I think that 
I'm going to try to do something else I want to talk about, which is the Michael Lewis book. But that book, if you look at the Walter Isaacson book, uh, you know, yeah. there are two parts. There is the part which is, I would say, everything before the Twitter acquisition, which where Walter yeah. looks at as the historian, right? He's like talking yeah. to all these sources, looking at papers, Elon's troubled childhood, a lot of that. And then there is a part of Twitter and X, which I think, one, obviously, personally, I've been a little bit part of it. If you haven't heard of it, go Google me and you can sort of find more things. But then there is Walter's also in the room. And so I think for the very first time, he's playing the role of a journalist, not so much of a historian mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, kind of an in-room observation. He's kind of seeing it live. I had a chat with Elon about this because I saw him recently and I, I realized that he hadn't read the book at all and he was asking me about it. And he realized that, you know, there were meetings and conversations where Walter and I on the same meeting and his memory of the meeting is so different from mine. And not in a way that it's inaccurate or dishonest, but more about like my memory of what was important in that meeting, who were the key players, what was the key decision, what was actually going on in terms of the key technical or the business to be made was very different from what Walter was observing. Maybe it's partly because he's kind of focused on the human drama and I was more focused on the business and the product side of things. But another element of it is like, I don't think, you know, Walter has been in the room for many of these meetings where you're kind of making key technology platforms or product decisions. So he doesn't understand like when an engineer is making a presentation, like this is actually what's happening. And he's this is the person he has to convince and what's going on. So that book is a bit hard for me, um, you know, uh, but I do think obviously it has an impactful book because Elon is such an yeah. impactful person. And uh, I think it's a very, very impactful book. I'm going to say we, we had a lot of honorable mentions. There's going to be a dishonorable mention here. Like, and I, we all talk about things we hate on the show. But the book I really hated was Michael Lewis's Going Infinite. And um, in, in, I'm pretty sure like history... Why, was, why, why did you hate that book? Well, a few reasons. Number one, obviously, I would say the simplest way to think about it would be that uh, Michael basically gives SPF a pass for a lot of the bad things which now have been thrown in a court of law. And in some ways, the whole book to me read like Lewis couldn't reconcile with himself the fact that he had been hoodwinked and he couldn't mm. uh, accept it. So he had to find so many ways. I think there's an interesting sentence in the book where near the end, he says like SBF comes up with all these explanations for what has happened. And he says something like, you know, and they've proven annoyingly hard to rebut. Not true. They've been very easy to rebut, right? Like very, very easy, right? Like a lot of people have done it on X and, you know, obviously had a jury, which is kind of convicted for some of these things. But, you know, Lewis, I think just couldn't bring himself to say that this person who is, he was kind of fallen in love with in a way who had kind of fooled him. And I think the whole book is a little bit, uh, I think, of a, defense case for Michael um, and I would say you know it was just very frustrating because SBF in my, in my opinion caused so much damage to the crypto industry and you know the technology and you know, a lot of people had been like financially impacted by it and I think Michael Lewis had a front row seat uh, and you know he could have probably written something very very different but he chose not to. It also very interesting to me that he chose to come out of the book the week or the month before the SBF trial uh, it'll be interesting to see if the trial had happened and then he'd be like, oh, well, you know, he's now convicted what's going to happen. So, I, and I'm not the only one. A lot of people are very frustrated by it. That book was very, very frustrating before what it could have been and what it turned out. I do think the common element here between this and the Elon book is that both Lewis and Isaacson maybe are not the best documentarians, right? Like They're not the best people to document what is happening in the room. They're maybe way better yeah. telling stories after the fact. Or there's another element of this, which is maybe the more controversial one, which is like, hey, if Michael Lewis is so bad at this 
right? Yeah, um, you know, what is the Gelman's amnesia effect say, right? Yes. It says like, well, maybe maybe he's bad at everything else too and you just didn't know it because you're not so close to it. No, that's exactly it. Like to me, this is, this is basically Gelman amnesia, right? Like it's, you look at it as like, oh, well, this book was bad and we know this because we are in the industry, you work in crypto, you're like very exposed to you know, what the repercussions have been with uh, SBF and, you know, all the allegations, but also just like it affecting founders, the ecosystem, like everything else. Really, you've seen this whole thing, you've lived through it. So you know that this book was just such a disservice to all of it. Like, you know, it just, just did the worst possible job uh, and tried to just get away with it. To me, it looks, I look at it and go, this is probably true for all the past books of Michael Lewis, right? Like, why would you think that he's like, this is an exception, not the norm? And similarly for Walter Isaacson's too, right? I look at it and go, okay, but what about the Jobs book? But what about all these other books? Oh, gosh, right? yeah. like, there are lots the of jobs, other... Yeah, the Jobs book, so disappointing. Yeah. Same thing, sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, so maybe these are not the right people to what you said to like tell the story. And uh, maybe we need to have like different folks who are actually understand what, um, you know, founders do and what builders do and uh, to be able to like tell the story because I do think storytelling is important. As cliche as it sounds, uh, you, uh, some of you who I've met in person, you've all heard me say this, founders are the cohort of people that are going to change the world. Like you want to encourage more people founding companies. And so storytelling is a really important part of that whole exercise uh, because you want to have role models, you want to have these stories, but you want to also pick the right storytellers and I don't think these are the right people. And I think part of what Shriram and I do through this podcast and just us being out there, you know, telling stories is that, you know, we are from this world, we are from this industry. And so we're doing a little a small part in just being this conduit with like having these right kind of like guests and uh, having conversations here so that we can actually tell the story from the people themselves. Yeah, I agree. Next up, I think, uh, and maybe we can just pick one because I think we have the same one. Um, the tech event or the theme of the year, okay? Oh, and yeah. Let's do that. Uh, and What do you think, Sriram? What was it? I'm going to combine a few. I think this has to be the year of... A lot of people are going to pick what happened at the OpenAI and all the drama surrounding it. Yeah, but yeah I all think, the drama. But I think this is the year of the rise of you know AI discourse in the mainstream, the rise of uh, regulation being a key battlefield for people who want to decelerate and accelerate. And I think it's a rise of what we might think of as a new religion in terms of EAC, which I think is going to be very interesting to see in future years. We, I think it's the maybe the public reckoning of what has happened to an existing religion uh, in effect to altruism. Um, mm -hmm. And for us, I would say is there have been so many of these forces that have been sort of been mulling around and if you're all the group texts and chats and all these parties, which is EAC versus EA to, you know, all these whispers about what is happening in various regulatory, you know, back channels and back rooms. And it's all kind of came to a head in very, very public terms. Like you would not believe the number of people where the whole open AI drama with Sam being fired and being brought back is happening. The number of people who would ask me, hey, what is this effective altruism thing, right? Like explain this to me, right? I mean, oh, pull up a chair. And, and, and let's talk about it. So it, I think this has sort of this been bubbling up in 
you know, in, in so many ways and it kind of all came out. So that is, I think, one theme. I think the other theme I'm going to pick is uh, what does corporate governance actually mean? Because this year, you know, with OpenAI, you have this question of who really has power, right? Is it a board? Is it a CEO? Is it the charter, which may or may not be visible? Is it the employees of the company? Uh, is it the customers? Is it the lead investor? And I think you kind of saw this interesting power struggle, which honestly, we're going to see, you know, how that what the ramifications are for other companies um, down the road. So I know this is not really so much about the technology which had an amazing year, but I think so much of like things have been building up, bursting into the public battleground, and I think it's going to keep going on in 2024. That has to be a theme of the year. Did you mean when you said, you know, with the Sam Altman getting fired, getting reinstated, people were asking you about effective altruism or EAC? Effective altruism, because uh, one of the narratives was that a couple of the board members were... Uh, kind of aligned with effective altruism. And I think, yeah. you know, and this is kind of true for not just OpenAI, but maybe some of the other companies also. Uh-huh. And uh, and so a lot of people are like, hey, what is this? They be like, a lot of people are like, hey, what is the old EA Duberism thing, right? I'm like, ah, ha, ha. Like, here are 25 podcasts yeah. you should listen to and 25 people uh, you should listen to. And Mark totally. came on an episode. No, yeah. yeah, got it, got it. That makes sense. Okay, so for me, uh, it's, it's, it's AI, it's OpenAI. That's like the big theme of the year. But also for me, I see it as a theme because of the number of thousands of companies that are now have been founded this year uh, through uh, that's built on or like is focused on AI. It feels like we were 10 years, 12 years ago, when was the iPhone launched, right? Like we were there through the whole thing. And, you know, when the app store opened up, you could see, you know, a huge cohort of people being like, I'm going to write iOS apps. Right. And it became a thing. It became this wave. And this is the first time since then I'm seeing that whole wave. Like I've seen friends like quit jobs, basically go all in, just starting companies, building things because AI is such a movement and uh, and people building like really fun, unique startups. And that is amazing to see. Like what, no matter what happens to each the individual startup story itself, I think as a movement, as a wave, there is just this like energy and momentum that we haven't seen in the industry in a few years. And it's really awesome and exciting to go see that, to just get like thousands of companies getting founded uh, to go build something there. So, yeah. and, and not just like on OpenAI, not just, you know, not just like a specific platform, but just full stack problems, uh, being able to go solve for like different kind of use cases. It's just amazing to go see. Yeah, I think the thing with AI is obviously there's been a lot been said about how it's maybe super one of the most transformative technologies you might see. But you're kind of seeing some of the patterns that happen with previous technology ways, which is regulatory capture, the press narratives, all happening in such a more compressed time frame. If you think about, say, the mobile era from the launch of the iPhone to maybe the key apps like Uber or Twitter happening, that can be took like five, six years, maybe longer. And with AI, you know, with say ChatGPT, I think launched maybe around this time last year, right? Been maybe a year. From then you've seen GPT-4, you've seen open source AI, you've seen like likes of Mistral, you've seen other companies like Perplexity build on top, you've seen uh, 
all the generative AI stuff with Midjourney and all these things have been happening and it's happened in such a small period of time and that is only the technology side and product side there is, and the fundraising side there has been which is the regulatory conversations the UK had the AI safety summit uh, there has been the, the Biden executive order uh, you know so many other things which I'm you know uh, which you're missing so I think so you kind of you're speed running a technology trend and that is not going to stop in 2024 and that's going to be very very um, interesting to uh, see i think it's going to impact crypto as well i think the intersection of crypto and ai is going to be very very interesting you're starting to see crypto prices really tick up and that's going to be interesting as well so yeah i think 2024 is going to be very very interesting but i think the rise of eac the all the narrative ai has to be maybe the story of 2023 Okay, uh, one final question, I think, maybe, um, you know, which is sort of, sort of like, when you sort of look back upon 2023, what do you kind of see as big life changes that has kind of like worked out for you, habits that have worked out for you? And then also looking forward to 2024, what are you kind of like most looking forward to? I mean, I think we talked about books, but one book I forgot to mention that's had like a pretty deep impact was uh, Peter Rittier's uh, Outlook. And, you know, for if you're in the world of like listening to a lot of the top podcasts, you probably have listened to Peter Rittia. He has this like really great podcast. Him, Andrew Huberman, these are like the, the, the big folks that cover health, wellness, fitness, all topics around it, but in like a very scientific, rigorous way. And, uh, you know, Peter Rittia uh, is somebody I followed for a few years, listened to all of his content. And so the book itself was not a huge surprise because it felt like a packaging of like a lot of his like podcast content and just content that he puts out there. But it kind of like all of it, reading it together, kind of, you know, uh, it sounds kind of dumb, but it made me kind of take my own health seriously. You know, over the last like, five-ish years for me, health-wise, like I've kind of, I, I started out as a young adult being an athlete, really focused on health, being focused on fitness. As one of those people who, knew what VO2 max was and was measuring it like way back in the day, right? Like I was like really into it. And then for the last five, six years or so, I kind of like got off that treadmill, lots of stuff in the pandemic, kids, everything. And it was kind of good to like reset. I think the move also helped a bit to kind of figure out, okay, you have to make time for it. And I think uh, Atia talks this as like not so much lifespan, but as health span. It's about like how what kind of quality of life do you aspire to have like right now, but also the last few years of your life, how do you want it to be? Do you want to be bedridden, alive, take consuming a lot of pills and just like not healthy? Or do you want the last few years or the last decade of your life to be like really healthy, joyous, being able to be independent, that kind of thing. And you really kind of start taking yourself seriously, uh, kind of working backwards from there. So to me, that kind of had like a really big impact. I highly recommend the book. I recommend, you know, ITS content, all of it. Uh, and it helped me just in the last four or five months, just reset and take health more seriously and actively train. So I now like lift a lot, do a lot of weightlifting, do a bunch of like, uh, I've always been a runner, but uh, now I'm just more focused on like specific goals on running than just like go out and just run kind of thing. We also got to know some people in the fitness world like Robin Arzon, who kind of have this down to a T, right? Like her system is so inspiring and not, not just for Peloton, but she's like a runner. She's written books on running um, and just like a really good inspiration person to look up to. So just having these people in our sphere and reading books uh, has helped me a lot to like shape and develop my thinking on 
how to think about fitness and wellness and just overall health and stress management and all of that. Uh, I think maybe I was glad you didn't mention because I wanted to mention this person. I think the person who I think is really shifted my opinion on this outside of Huberman and Robin, a lot of these folks you mentioned is Brian Johnson, aka the Live, Go oh, and yeah. Die guy. Now, Brian, I think is really interesting. He's going to be on the oh, guest on the show um, pretty soon. I actually want to go back because I think there's a book uh, which Brian recommends, which I highly recommend people here read. It's called uh, Zero, the Biography of a Dangerous Idea. And it is the book about the invention of the concept of zero in mathematics. The book does a great job. But basically, if you haven't thought of zero, it is feels blasphemous. And sometimes it was blasphemous, literally, to have a concept of nothing. Right. And and you talked about like how, you know, the idea of nothing as a mathematical construct took centuries to evolve and kind of like political and religious fights over it. And but it kind of gives you the idea of like the sense of first principles being a thing of like, okay, let's deconstruct things to the simplest thing. But I think the zero uh, the book tells you like sometimes maybe there is this other idea which makes you want to question the fundamental platform on you know, for everything you know, and maybe there's something else out there, which is what the number zero seemed like to a lot of uh, our ancestors. And Brian Johnson talks about it in terms of his personal journey and in terms of how, you know, he thought about, okay, I can basically go on this life and I can be a little healthier or I can try and reverse aging, right? His tagline is don't die, which is a little bit facetious, but also kind of have a spirit, which is like, seems so crazy. And I think he is so interesting because he's not for everybody. I'm sure people are going to think he's crazy or out there and he's like a rich tech person who's spoiled and he looks weird but for me i think he's out there you know pushing the frontier forward and sharing it with a lot of people and uh you, he's very clear that you can kind of pick whatever works for you and i'm just happy that he exists right and whether you like him or hate him you can't ignore him right like you know he invites conversation and so some of the things that he's talked about i try to incorporate but i think his philosophy and how he's kind of approached, you know, building content, building a moment and kind of like taking an idea has been super interesting. So that's, I think, you know, uh, that's been kind of a, a more recently, I was the last few months have been a, a big part of my life. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I know we've been talking about uh, Brian Johnson a lot, not just from like fitness, health standpoint, but also just being a good content creator for this last year yes. and just uh, consistently putting out good, high quality, inspiring content out there. And you know, as facetious as don't die sounds, it's like it's the spirit of it, right? It's like to want to be able to take yourself, your your own health seriously. I think we all kind of like reach that point in life where we're like, yeah, like, you know, if you don't do it, nobody else is going to do it for you. You just have to like uh, pick it up and think about it. So I think we are kind yeah. of there right now. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we're kind of running out of time. I would say we should we'll probably go to a different episode later on 2024 and our plans and productivity and some of our plans. But we have a lot of things planned for 2024 uh the show uh how we want to yeah, we're going to expand in many different ways uh, uh you know it's not going to be just a show it's going to be many many things and uh you know i i, I mean it's like it's the end of the year uh and i just want to say thank you so much for everybody who's kind of been a big part of this journey continue to be a part of this journey whether you've been with us since the early clubhouse days or before or whether this is the first episode, we really appreciate it. As you can tell, we could not do it uh, without you. But uh, you know, this has been so much fun and there's going to be a lot more in 2024. Yeah, I agree. Um, we will do probably another episode in 2024, just projects we're working on, things like that. Um, I think it'll be fun. But this year was so fun for us. It's just great to you know, sit behind in, in front of this camera and just record, put out content and just see the reaction, see the comments come through. So don't stop. Keep sending us uh, feedback. 
and uh, and you know we are looking forward to showing up at least once a week and uh, and you know putting in an episode uh, every week there and just keeping consistent at it. I will make sure that that happens, whether the artist in this room likes it or not. Uh, we'll see if the, if the if the inspiration grabs me, right? Like we will see. But no, uh, <laughs> it's been great. And uh, wherever you are, hope you had an amazing year. Hope you kind of like uh, you know curled up somewhere warm or cold or whatever your choice is. And hope you have a wonderful 2024. Uh, but happy new year. Ha happy new year. See you next time. All right, see you folks.